0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. This is a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Jamie Rogers about British, Black, and Asian Shakespeareans integrating Shakespeare 1966 to 2018. So welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Um, this is a brilliant book. Um, it's both, you know, kind of fascinating in terms uh, of contemporary debates about diversity and culture. Um, it's incredibly sort of rich in terms of, I guess, a kind of history of drama or, or a sort of theatre studies book. And it's also quite sort of poignant in, in terms of the sort of celebration um, as well as the stories of discrimination in individual sort of key players' lives that that comes up throughout the book. And I suppose one way to to kind of clear the ground to to sort of get a sense of what the book is about is to start really with a kind of story. Um, and it's the story of, I guess, a kind of forgotten Shakespearean called, uh, Ira Aldridge. Um, and, and this story both, you know, kind of tells us about, you know, how we should remember that, um, Black and Asian Shakespeareans have long been, you know, part of the theatre industry, but at the same time, shows how much both, you know, there's a kind of struggle, but also there's in some ways a kind of conscious forgetting of their um, contributions. So, what is his story, and and, and kind of um, how does it sort of set the scene and the motivation for the book?
0: Well, I, it's interesting because Ira Aldridge. Is is kind of less forgotten at the moment than than he was. But what I what I found in talking to some of the actors um, in that that I've discussed their Shakespeare careers with Joseph Marcel and Adrian Lester and Lolita Chakrabarti particularly is that they didn't know about this. he, he was he was African American, and they. Who an African American actor who came over to Britain and was started doing Shakespeare, and he was one of the most, if not the most celebrated um, Shakespeare, Shakespearean actor in Europe. Um, but he's he was erased from the history books for you know decades. Um, so he's so important, partly because the people who were doing this now now have a focal point of i'm i'm not i'm not alone um so and so it's kind of like from from ira aldridge it all kind of springs up um but he was forgotten for decades there there's uh, there's um the um naacp um in, in America, I think it was the NAACP, um, I'm forgetting <laughs> names today, I'm afraid. Um, but they, they got, a um, James Weldon Johnson got a subscription together for an Ira Aldridge Memorial chair. So a memorial little plaque that was in the Shakespeare Memorial Theater when it was rebuilt it was fundraising activity being done in Stratford. And so it was, he was so important to the African American community that they got money together so they could commemorate him at, the, at, 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 at at what became the Royal Shakespeare company. So I just, I think he's uh, amazing and partly thanks to Lolita Chakrabarty's red velvet play. Um, from 2012 more and more people he's he's now back on the map he was on the map he was forgotten now he's back on the map so it's sort of like let's just keep him on the map now (laughs) that sense
1: of not being alone i I think connects us really fantastically to um the methods that that underpin the book and, and that idea actually of you know putting key um individuals, key stars, actually, um, onto the map and and sort of keeping them onto the map is part of, the, I guess, the kind of key thing that motivated or uh, drives the the project, which is this database you built Hmm. um, of performances, performers, where, when, which roles, that kind of thing. And I'm fascinated by that partially because it does the work of really sort of... uh, Closing debates over, you know, the, the idea that um, this um, group of of really, you know, some, in some cases, really stellar actors actually um, had no place in in Shakespeare, or you know, a relatively, you know, a kind of a new phenomenon or, or, or something like that, but also it makes visible, um, you know, as, as we heard with Aldridge, the eye, you know, the, the kind of stories that that may have been forgotten or or lost. So, could you tell me a bit about the kind of Database, the archival research, the sort of the methods that underpin the book. Uh,
0: well, the British Black and Asian Database has a sort of um, uh, dual uh, heritage, and if if you will, um, that I did, I got I got interested in um, who was playing what role when a friend of mine from drama school i trained at lambda he would go off to an audition and he'd come back and months later he'd say i auditioned for this whatever shakespeare it was and i'd be like well i saw that ah and there was a, a, a always in the in the role he had auditioned for there was always a black or an asian actor male actor in that role so I got a little suspicious um, about how convenient that was, um, and how exclusionary. So I, I was at the Shakespeare Institute doing my PhD at the time. So I just started on as a way of avoiding my PhD because it was it was a bit of a you know it was like it, you know you, you the, the, how they work is you know you 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 do. These, you know, you, you make progress and then you get stuck. So I always found it useful to have a different project on the go at the same time. So so I basically it just I I got cast lists from programs together, about two to three hundred programs, and there was a pattern of no leading no real leading actors, no and it was always like 10 to 20 percent were performers of color in the cast and 80 to 90 percent were white unless they'd set them the productions in you know africa or india or someplace that was not england so I wrote an article for, for Shakespeare Bulletin, it got published, and at the same time, Tony Howard had um, got AHRC funding for this project, multicultural Shakespeare project at the University of Warwick. So, he was like, you have some data, um, here, have have some, you know, basically, he hired me to plug in the database, and then I got hired as a research assistant, and from there, there was a pot of research money where I could just take off to archives and trawl through programs and find, um, get the cast lists. And these, you know, these programs or productions I didn't even know existed in some cases. So the the database was kind of built through a huge amount of archival research and it was um, bespoke as well. So, in the the database has this thing called the roles counter. Well, we call it the roles counter. And so, it basically every time you plugged in a a, a role that an actor of color had played, a British uh, black or and, and or Asian actor had played, um, it would count the number of times that role had been played by a British black or, or Asian Shakespearean. So. The more data you plug into the database, the more um, obvious it becomes that more people are playing the witches in Macbeth than are playing Macbeth, and even just one witch in Macbeth. Or with The Tempest, it's Ariel and Caliban, um, and very few uh, performers of color have played Prospero. So you automatically see that, if you if you're if you're looking and you're paying attention, you automatically see that there is a massive inequality in the way Shakespeare is cast. So the multicultural Shakespeare project ended, but I was still obsessed with the implications of this, and I'd had more and more conversations with um, actors about their experiences in the, in the industry. Um, um, and I became involved in, uh, various advocacy, uh, work in the industry in, uh, things like act, the actor change project. And so the, the, the one half of the database of, of the book is, is, is predicated on the, the quote unquote firsts, um, you know, the first performer of color to play whatever role, um, and the data i'd accumulated because it because it's um uh you know just it just shows the gross inequality and kind of and the other half of the book is is it comes directly from my interest in just talking to actors about classical acting and process and you know what they think of the characters and um because you know my background is actually you know acting so i just Decided that that was what the book. The book needed to have um, not just the data, but it needed to talk to talk to people about the roles they played. And in talking to people about the roles they played, people also talk about the the the, the way the industry has functions. Um, so it's it's kind of all that rolled into one, but it's it's really it's also so important to talk to performers of color doing Shakespeare because so few are included in theater history. So I guess that I guess that all kind of underpins whats what, what how, the way the book came about. And I mean, the
1: book absolutely sort of rectifies that absence from theatre history. And and it's, I guess, probably, you know, I think it's fair to say it's not a story of linear progress. It's a story of, you know, as you've mentioned first, a story of, you know, particular kind of moments, you know, high points, and then a story of actually, you know, kind of ongoing, fairly systemic uh, and quite depressing um, stories and experiences of, of, you know, racism from Casting from organizations, from critics. I mean, some of the stuff uh, that comes through from the critics is kind of hair-raising, and you know, it, it's fairly recent as well, which is is really remarkable. And, and I guess actually, to find a route in to this story, we might think about not so much kind of you know have things got better or have things got worse, but really you know some of the kind of continuities and some of the changes from the nineteen sixties through to the kind of late um noughties so what was going on in the 60s and you know in in particular um why was the kind of mid-60s and and slightly kind of in into the 70s you know a, a really sort of crucial period for your book particularly thinking about how there is you know on the one hand um organizations that are basically saying you can't have actors of colour in Shakespeare, you know, and, and really sort of blocking um, what would go on to become major kind of, you know, Hollywood stars sort of making their way in the industry. But also, at the other hand, we've got, you know, these kind of moments where there are sort of, you know, um, high profile successes, really. Um, so, so what is it about that kind of period that gives us these, you know, illustrations of here are the problems, but also here's um, some successes that go on to be important later? <laughs>
0: Well, I, I don't know quite, I don't know what it, what it was I, in terms of like writing the book, it was pretty easy to choose, um, what to write about in the 1960s and early 1970s. Cause there was not much. So, uh, I think there's the, there's the, the kind of introductory like chapter that kind of does, you know, what, what little was happening before where the book actually starts in like 1966. Um, so it was in the, it was more, it was more of a story about exclusion, like literal exclusion, people not even being considered for, for jobs, any kind of job. I mean, the, the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare bit of, of this is, is a, is a microcosm of the industry. It isn't, it's not, it's not that the, the systemic racism is, specifically shakespearean it's it's what was happening in the industry as a whole so you know you've got the the first chapter that really starts digging into it uh, that's that's what i had that's what i had to choose choose from that's there's almost nothing else um and it just happened to be the first um people of color to to play the witches in macbeth um, um the end, uh, Ariel and Calibanum, that uh, there there was... But behind the scenes, I guess, it was a huge amount of activism of these same people um, just fighting for their, their own rights. Um, and it just... It, the, the book kind of traces the kind of gradual... Um, the gradual... Uh, the inclusion and I I, I used for the, for the sixties and seventies, I used the word inclusion very carefully. Um, And then in the eighties, there was this huge explosion of, of opportunity. And I, I think really a lot of, a lot of it, a lot of it's kind of driven just by some of these big social marker points that, that, that have happened in, in Britain, because I, I think the um, unrest in the inner cities in the 1980s really highlighted um, inequality. And I think it just got, it got the industry as a whole like thinking, oh yes, we're doing the same sorts of things. Um, and the stuttering, it's the problem now, it, you know, if, we, if we jump forward to, to now, into all of this it is is actually that people are included, but they're not getting, they're not, they're not really able to fulfill their, their potential and become leading classical actors in the same way that their white contemporaries are. I mean, I've got, you know, it, 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 I mean, and this is, this is a problem that has, that has been going on since the 1960s. I mean, there's, there's a whole, Thing in the book where Alton Kumalo, who was a South African actor, founder of Temba Theatre Company, activist in his own right, he spent five years at the RSC, who were the about the only uh, company hiring um, performers of color to do Shakespeare at the time. But he was stuck in in um, basically servant roles, servant messengers, and he he and um, three other performers of color started at the same year as people like Helen Mirren and Roger Reese, And, you know, just the disparity between the first year they were kind of on level ground, Kumalo and Roger Reese, And then as the years went by, Roger Reese climbed the casting ladder and Alton Kumalo wasn't able to get beyond playing a very senior servant in Two Gentlemen of Verona. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's very, it's a very patchy history and it kind of mirrors Britain's patchy history with its own dealings with acknowledging the, um, systemic racism that, that, that sort of plagues, um, imperialist societies you know the us and and britain it's sort of the same side of the coin um so it's i i i think to to like simply answer your question i think you know the early years it was it was a it was very it was very underground kind of people pushing and and you know, a few, a handful of directors giving people opportunity. And that's what it boils down to, the people giving other people the jobs.
1: I mean, there's two nice sort of contrasts on that. Um, One is, um, and and these are both kind of 80s and and 90s um, contrasts that come through sort of in, in the middle of the book. One is the way that by the 80s, it's fairly clear that You know, there's this, you know, really sort of obvious uh, segregation going on, both in terms of, you know, there are roles that are deemed suitable for actors of colour in the British system. And then, you know, there are genres as well that are deemed kind of suitable. Um, And so, you know, as you've described, you know, these kind of career trajectories that sort of, Go up, you know, like actors get work, you know, they're in the industry, they're in, in some cases, you know, the, the kind of prestigious organizations like the RSC or, or they're, you know, um, acting at the NT or, or whatever, but it's really clear that there's a kind of, you know, very sort of clear pigeonhole that they're put into. And at the same time, you've got examples of basically sort of you know minority-led theatres that provide you know alternatives, both in terms of very different casting practices, but also I guess kind of alternative views on what Shakespeare is and and how it could be. And I wonder if you could sort of draw that that contrast that happens um, in the eighties and and into the early nineties.
0: Well, I think well, I think one of my favorite my favorite things that I that I discovered was the fact that. Um, And it happened at the end of the, at the end of the eighties was at the Bristol Old Vic, um, which up until that point and after it hasn't done a lot of Shakespeare that even winds up in the database because there aren't that many people of color doing Shakespeare at the Bristol Old Vic. So that, that alone, what's missing from the database tells you a lot. The people missing from the database or the people that don't have that many entries in terms of like white directors, that tells you a lot about, the attitudes um, that are systemic. Um, but at the Bristol of Vic, you, you had um, a new artistic director come in, um, Leon Rubin, who had worked at the RSC. He had worked at the RSC with Roger Reese as an assistant. He was assistant director on Nicholas Nickleby and uh, several other things. And he... They basically started what was uh, envisioned as a training ground for actors of color to eventually move them into like just train train them and in give them and by training them it's basically giving them the opportunity to um, uh, do classical work which they weren't getting anywhere else so it was kind of like a little uh, they had um, the main house and they had. The studio and they had this scheme that they called Company three And they did um R- Roger Reese directed a production of Julius Caesar, and they had um a casting crew that was, you know, uh representative of like 10 different countries, cultures from you know, Wales and England to China. Um and um, this pe- you know, African various African countries, Zimbabwe, um, etc. And they did this production of Julius Caesar, um, which was roundly despised by the right-wing press. There is an incredibly racist review um, in the Daily Telegraph um, because it wasn't who. This white man wanted to see playing Shakespeare, but the the the, the company itself was um, just just represented so much more to both the people in the production and what could have been it, it was it was a he- multicultural it was it was multicultural in the in the in the widest sense. Um, doing classical theater directed by one of the Royal Shakespeare Company's biggest names. Um, they toured it to schools um, and prisons and um, little uh, village halls. Um, they had Queen coming to see it, like literally Freddie Mercury came to see it. And <laughs> um, uh, because uh, one of the people in it was Peter Straker, who is best better known as a as a as a musician. But uh, you know, they they Queen came to see it at, at the Bristol Old Vic. It's it's it's, it, it's it's an it's an impossible story to even think of in this day and age. In many ways, because it was one of the first and last times you actually had a real multicultural cast. That where it wasn't set um, in, you know, India or Jamaica or you know some African country, nondescript African country, they and it was it was envisioned as a training program so that they would the, the, the cast would eventually graduate to, to 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 be able to 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 do main main house pro, um, shows. Unfortunately, Leon Rubin um, parted ways with the Bristol Vic about 18 months into his, his contract. But that that kind of epitomizes to me that the huge steps and that had been taken, because this was 1987, and the fact that there were people who recognized that um, one of the that one of the things that comes with not getting an opportunity is that they don't get the the chance to compete on an equal training footing with um, their white contemporaries who because a lot of acting is on the job training and if you're not getting that you're not you're not improving you're not using the muscles that you um, uh, that you need to 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 play a lead you know one of those big massive chunky parts. Um, in Shakespeare, um, and you, you, you do you, you do get rust, you do get rusty. So it's um, so so that so that kind of epitomizes kind of the hopeful um, feeling of the kind of late 1980s and into the early 1990s when people like Adrian Lester and David Harewood um, uh, were all coming out of drama school and they were all getting getting, you know, they were all getting work.
1: I mean, it's, but you mentioned, Hairwood and and, and Lester and and that kind of hopeful moment, but um, one of the things that that strikes me when you're talking about that hopeful moment is also the backlash, which is, you know, again, you know, the critical, and and by which we mean really kind of newspaper critics, backlash. And I mean, we we could, you know, we talked a bit about, Different time periods. We we've talked in terms. You know, we've mentioned a a couple of institutions. Maybe we'll we'll drill down into a particular play actually. And you know, it's a it's a cliche um, to talk about Othello, but Othello is really important in this context, both because of the way um, we see you know kind of key players blocked from getting involved in the play early on in the book, the way that um, you know it's deemed to be the kind of as you've mentioned that chunky you know kind of big part um that black actors um are almost kind of allowed to play but even in that context there's a critical backlash that is like we know is this being politically correct could no white man ever play um othello again you know and but there's also like you know kind of interesting stuff about the parity um in terms of the part with someone like Iago in in the play and stuff like this so I wonder if you could say a bit about kind of why Othello is important how it was reclaimed in some ways how it generated particular kinds of of critical backlash and, and in some ways you know how where we are now it's got on the one hand, a different meaning than at the start of the book, but also it still represents this kind of risk of being, you know, kind of pigeonholed or or trapped for particular actors.
0: Yeah. I I think Othello is, Othello's, uh, uh, I I get really frustrated talking about Othello um, because I, I just don't like the play anymore. (laughs) Um, And I don't like the play anymore because I now see things in the play that I didn't notice before I did the book. Um, But, you know when you are it was it was hugely important to Paul Robeson for instance who isn't doesn't really feature in the book because uh, you know his his Othellos were before the 1966 start date but it's it, 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 it he viewed Othello as um a civil rights issue so he um and and I and that civil rights issue led to um, the one of the biggest um, catalysts, I think, for change in British theatre, which was basically the BBC Shakespeare, um, television Shakespeare, which for the people who don't remember, it was uh, a massive thing in the 1970s, and. Uh, the BBC did every single Shakespeare play um, uh, during the 1970s and into the early 1980s, um, and in 1979, um, they decided to cast the African American um, James Earl Jones. Um, and what astonished me when I when I looked, and it, it shouldn't have astonished me, but it did. Um, but when I looked into James Earl Jones's CV up until 1979. He had a lot of classical, he had a lot of Shakespeare experience, including playing the leads of, let me try and get this, remember this right. Um, Othello, obviously, he played it twice by then, Um, but also Hamlet and Macbeth and King Lear, I think. And you look at that line of leading roles and you look at the cvs of all the people in britain um performers of color who've played shakespearean leading roles not a single one of them has done those that same line of parts yet as of 2022. um so othello at the beginning of the book is a civil rights issue um, and it, it was, it was um, it, I, I guess, because of the quote unquote suitable roles culture that still exists, but is less obvious now, where actors, it, not just in Shakespeare, but like in, in everything, they, they were only cast in roles that the white decision makers decided were suitable to them, for them. So that meant like the lead in any Shakespeare was not, not considered. Um, but Othello is the one of the few Shakespeare characters who was written as a black man. And that's what I think they the the people like Norm, Norman Beaton and uh definitely Paul Robeson had latched onto. So in the early in the early early part of the book, it's a civil rights issue. It's a it's a it's a thing about let's this this that we should we should at least be in the running for playing this role. So when BBC cast James Earl Jones, it kicked off a huge backlash, and the backlash has been interpreted as. As just equity, because it was a dispute, equity came into the dispute and said, "No, you can't. You can't cast James Earl Jones." It has been interpreted by scholars and, to some extent, in, in theater historians as simply equity saying, "No, you can't have an American play playing this role." But it was much, 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 much more about the fact that they weren't even considering any of the black British actors who were here. So that, 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 that really, that lasted, that, that whole standoff lasted two years, and in the end, the white actor, Anthony Hopkins, played Othello, blacked up, or at least browned up. I I can't quite tell from the, from the, uh, the stills, (laughs) and I I just, I, I just don't really want to go watch it, um, personally, but, um. So I'd say yeah, it was it was it it was about playing that role. It was about kicking open the door. Um, it was about civil rights. And as we've progressed through the decades, people who were playing Othello. Now, this isn't everybody who's playing Othello. Um, some some black actors really love that role and really love that play and really want to do, you know, one of the, one of the people I've talked to really, really wants to have another crack at it. Um, and other people just hate it. Um, and they hate it because it's written, it's a, it's written by a, a it's a role written by a white man. And it's a, it's mostly now it feels, and it feels to me too, like a caricature it's also interesting because, like the, the quote unquote leading role now is like with with the star. Generally, the star is generally Iago, um, who's always who's the, the white white man. But so there's this there's this level of discomfort with Othello in in today's theater. But the reason, and, and people like people, you know, when um, when Hugh Korshi, uh was playing a fellow here at the RSC in 2015, there was the, like, um, uh, Steven Burkhoff kicked off about, you know, well, we should be allowed to play it now. You know, white, white actors should be allowed to play it now. It's like, well, there's a problem in that if it was actually equal, there would, be, there would be more people playing Hamlet and Othello and um, King Lear and Macbeth. They would be, they would, people would have, by now, if it was an equal society and there were equal opportunities for performers of color in Shakespeare, they would not just be pigeonholed as Othello. And it's like there's there's this uh, phrase that I uh, I came across that is so perfect, which is um, occupational segregation, um, which came out of a um, uh, an EHRC report from 2011 called um, uh, "How Fair Is Britain" or something like that. Um, and it's you know it's like minorities are kind of funneled into particular jobs and it's the same it works the same way in theater it's like actors from african caribbean backgrounds are funneled into othello at the top of the tree othello is the one that they are allowed to play and more often than not no one is considered to, 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 to play a leading role in any of the other major tragedies. And the, 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 the exceptions that prove the rule are, um, you know, Papa Isayadou's Hamlet, Kush Jumbo's Hamlet, um, and there have only been nine performers of color to have played Hamlet in this country since 1930. So it's, so it's um, Othello is incredibly important to the story, because it's still it's it, because of because i guess because of the the path it's 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 tread in terms of an equal rights issue success in 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 being able to play and allowed to play that role and then it's just it's it it's it also epitomizes the glass ceiling now um today's glass ceiling of well will allow you to play a fellow because it it would just be unacceptable if, you know, a white man was blacking up to play it. Um, But we're we're still not really going to consider you for any of you for the, you know, other plum roles by which, by the way, we also judge a classical actor's career.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things the book does so powerfully is connect these really clear underrepresentations in in the data the data is, is really really clear with the quite you know preposterous sort of critical overreaction about individuals being given specific roles and then also the poignancy of you know those careers that even careers that are great by any sort of you know um kind of Metrics. So, you know, someone like Norman Beaton, really famous in, in, in Britain, this, you know, kind of incredible um, television um, and, you know, theatre career. At the end, you know, not getting to play Lear and, and the sort of poignancy of, of, of that, and, you know, his kind of you know lifelong dream being sort of thwarted in, in, in some ways. Um, and that's one of the, you know, I think the most powerful things about your methods, you know, connecting both criticism the numbers and you know these these career uh, stories and, and career reflections. The place I'd like to finish on and kind of uh, round up with is what about the women? Because the story we've told, you know, that there's there's a risk that it becomes you know partially because of Shakespeare and the problems of gender in, in, in Shakespeare, um, partially because of the British theatre industry and the problems of gender in the British theatre industry. But it does become a story that, you know, in some ways might be dominated by men. But actually, there's an important gender story going on, which, you know, of course, is even worse. Um, and it'd be, you know, good to hear I don't know if you've got, you know, a couple of examples you'd like to pick out or, or you know, a sort of general comment on the gendered story um, of race and Shakespeare in, in, in Britain since the 60s.
0: Well, I I think um, it's, uh, you know, I think one of the the things that really kind of, one of the facts that kind of really sums it up is that the first, putting aside the fact that Peter Hall had originally cast um, an Asian actor to play, um, a South Asian actor to play Romeo in 1961, and then that didn't work out and it was a white guy um, coming in at the last minute. That apart, you the first cohort of performers of color to rock up at the RSC were four men in 1967. You don't get a woman playing a Shakespeare saying a Shakespeare line at the RSC until 1982. And I, that that just kind of sums sums it up in many ways. And that was Josette Simon, um, who was the first um, woman of color to play Shakespeare on the RSC stage, any of the RSC stages. And that just kind of sums it up because it it was like the there there the, the, I'm sorry there weren't any women available anywhere. Like you didn't think to cast a woman of color in any of these like maid roles because that's what you That's what they. That's what they would have done in the seventies. And in fact, Josette Simon came. One of the one of the roles she played was Nerissa, uh, Portia's maid in um, Merchant of Venice. It just the kind of afterthought. You know, it's like Shakespeare is dominated by male characters. So that's a fact we have to deal with. But because of the inequalities of women and um and race um there 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 aren't there aren't as many opportunities to you know learn your craft as a woman up up the um up the casting ladder because there aren't there aren't those mid-range roles generally there's like the ingenue and the leading shakespearean female Whereas in something like, you know, so in Much Ado, you've got you've got Hero, who says virtually nothing, and Beatrice. Um and there's no one no one in between those levels for women. Where but with men, they they are able to, um, if they are cast, work their way up the ladder by doing the ingenue role, say Claudio, and then, you know moving up, up the, um, up the casting tree, so to speak, because there's, 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 there's Don Pedro, and there's, there's, uh, uh, Leonato for the older, you know, there's just, uh, there's all kinds of layers, there's all kinds of ways men can climb the casting ladder to get the experience they need to be able to really effectively play a Shakespearean leading role. And so, I mean, one of the interesting things that's, that's happened in the past five to eight years with the current push towards equality um, is that there have been more women playing men's roles. Um, the, their, um, the Donmar Warehouse, the Philip Lloyd's Shakespeare trilogy, at the Donwell Warehouse was all female. And there were women of color in those plays. Um, But what I've also noticed in terms of some of the casting going on is that the women of color playing the male roles and actually, I don't think, it's not just women of color, it's women in general. Women are being relegated to those (laughs) problematic roles that don't that that are just on that they're good roles but they're just on the periphery they're not they're not leading leading roles aren't really on the cards there was like uh, so it's but but one of the one of the wonderful things about I, I, I think that I think one of the one of the most um personally I love Portia as a role um, so, I had thought that the first woman of color to play Portia in the UK was Kathy Tyson at the Birmingham Rep in 1997. But just through a random conversation I had with Reiki Aeola, um, it turns out that, at least as far as I've been able to find, she played Portia in 1992 at the Sherman Theater in Cardiff. So, Reiki Aeola was the first, so it's like it's it's and it, again it kind of it kind of goes back to the 1990s. There was a lot of activity for women to be able to play these main, um, these the leading leading roles. Josette Simon at the RSC, Reiki Aeola, and Kathy Tyson playing Portia. Um, just a, an amazing level of of um, inclusion. At the higher echelons of the Shakespearean ladder, then it kind of then then it falls off. But I, I it's 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 frustrating because the the way the way people are thinking about inclusion isn't necessarily to have them play the female roles in terms of women of color. So it's 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 it's, it's you know what, and you know what, it's not just it's not just women what's what's missing from the book because i because i made a conscious effort to make sure that i had female representation because i knew from the database people had done had played these parts but what's what's missing from the book and the database is is uh a lot of uh, east east asians so the so few east asian actors have played any role in shakespeare that it just kind of it just the levels of representation are nil and you can't write about something that's not there um so there there's there's a lot more work to be done not just in terms of um men in general and what roles they're allowed to play in the canon but women um and also you know the the african caribbeans there's a lot more uh of them who have been allowed to play these these roles in shakespeare been included in shakespeare but south asian representation is still fairly low and and east asian and middle east north african virtually nil so um there is so much more potential out there for shakespeare to be truly multicultural and it goes it goes back to the that bristol Vic production i was talking about i mean for me that's that's one of the ideals of you, you know it's not about setting it in the caribbean setting production in the caribbean to Which is where you put your African Caribbean actors, because that's the only thing you can think of. It's like we're, we're all living in society together. There's no reason why there can't be multicultural Shakespeare productions that aren't predicated on casting people because you've said it somewhere that's not England.